0: One of the biggest stories this week was, of course, Queen Elizabeth passing away at the spry young age of 96. Uh, the impact of her death spread around the world and affected almost everyone in some way, and none more so than George. No, not Prince George of Wales, Kate and Williams' kid. I'm talking about George, the bald, burgher, family guinea pig. And you might say, you know, right, it's an honest question. How this adorable little guy could have suffered because of the death of the queen. Well, here's how. Guinea Pig Awareness Week has been canceled for the queen's funeral. No! Now you've gone too far, royals. First you take the princess off the TV show Suits, and now this. It's unacceptable! I understand how enormously important the queen's passing was, but I draw the line at not being able to be aware of my guinea pig. Guinea Pig Awareness Week, gone! George has suffered severe emotional distress after learning of this cancellation, and my heart can't stand to see a wrinkled little frown on that cute little ball of skin. So rest in peace, Queen Elizabeth. But for the rest of you, you will be aware of George the Giddy Pig. I mean, he looks like a giant russet potato with balls, and they're giant, they're big. They're too big for his body. And I don't know if there's a medical issue going on, but something's going on there. Now, everyone is aware of way too much information about my guinea pig, and no monarchy can stop that. You're welcome, America. Stew does America. Head over to blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew to save 10 bucks off your subscription to blaze TV. If you're watching on YouTube or really wherever you are, click like on the video. If you're just watching on TV and there's not a like button, use permanent magic marker and write it on your TV screen. Nick Eberstadt is here to tell us about how the pandemic crushed the work lives of men across the country. Sunny Hostin proves that she exists in a world without irony. But we start by doing media manipulation. You know, I was listening to some news coverage this morning and I... I had a little revelation as I was listening to it because I, I find some things to be fascinating about the world. Let me show you a little video from Martha's Vineyard to start us off here because this is one of my favorite videos of all time. You see the loving residents of Martha's Vineyard in their very expensive clothing and their very expensive real estate standing there waving goodbye to the immigrants, giving them hugs, saying, adios, my... My compadres, as they all filmed themselves with smiles on their face and handing out, I think like baked goods and giving out hugs as they loaded all of the migrants onto a bus with police officers to leave the island forever. (laughs) Could it be any more perfect? I love this. And of course we get the headlines. These are the headlines because I, I gotta say this. You know, there was these quotes that kept going around like, oh, you know, some residents of Martha's Vineyard asked authorities if they could someday go visit the migrants. Whoa, you wouldn't need to visit them if they lived with you, for example, in your 8000 square foot uh, Oceanside Resort. They, you could just keep, they don't need to go anywhere. You can keep them there. But they shoveled them off the island in 48 hours, but they smiled when they loaded them onto the the, uh, bus with police officers. So everything was completely A-okay. Absolutely incredible, the coverage they got. And this is the coverage. This is the response that you get. This is from the left the Republican meltdown on Martha's Vineyard, when the residents on the tiny island town responded to Ron DeSantis' stunt with a clinical demonstration of civic virtue, (laughs) the right just about lost their damn minds. I know of no one on the right who lost their damn minds at what an incredible response Martha's Vineyard gave. We all just laughed at it and said, this is exactly what we said would happen. If these people last on that island for more than 48 hours, I will be stunned. And of course, they were long gone, gone in the wonderful memory of the people of Martha's Vineyard. Yes, they could sit back and say, we're wonderful, wonderful people. And I mean, let me just categorize what they did in that video just this way. They were, let's say, signaling a virtue, someone should come up with a term that summarizes that activity, signaling a virtue. They acted as if they cared about the immigrants, but then they were gone and back to brunch. That's how it works on Martha's Vineyard, and that's how it works on the left. It's incredible, but it's the coverage that is fascinating me today, not the fine people of Martha's Vineyard. I'm sure they're great. I'm sure they're wonderful, wonderful people. I'm talking about the coverage of it. So much coverage has been dedicated to the idea that the people of Martha's Vineyard were like heroes for ejecting all of these people within 48 hours. I mean, it's really incredible, but it's not just that blatant every single time. It's all about how these things get presented. The media does the work sort of behind the scenes. I was listening to uh, some coverage this morning about a really important story that is not getting a ton of coverage in Iran. Anger erupts in Iran after years of mistreatment of women. A a woman was murdered there for not properly wearing her hijab, allegedly, by the uh, the Iranians uh, and their government. And the outrage is real and should be real, right? This is a terrible story. When you listen to that story, it was presented with some sort of uh, overarching context though. And that context was accurate. Basically, we're looking at what a 99 to or 95 to 5 type of story here in the United States. 95% of people here in the United States say horrible what happens to women in Iran. It's terrible. The things that go on to with women in Iran are awful. You shouldn't get arrested by the morality police and then uh, murdered because you wore your hijab incorrectly. This is Crazy, and I'm sure there's a few stragglers who might disagree with that, but generally speaking, everyone understands that women should have more rights in Iran. So when you listen to the coverage about that story, that's the context it, it is presented in. Everyone knows this is a terror, uh, a terror show, a horror show. Everyone knows this is an awful thing that's going on in Iran, and here are the details about this horrible thing that's going on in Iran. But another story that's going on at the same time is this one, U.S. book bans on the rise due to advocacy groups, report says. Now, this is, of course, told through the context uh, and the general... Uh, Of course, anything they can talk about Ron DeSantis right now, they do. And it kind of ties to the quote unquote, don't say gay bill that came a while ago. It's had a chilling effect. Florida teachers anxious about the don't say gay bill. Of course, the don't say gay bill does not exist. You are not prevented from saying the word gay, even though about half the country, half of Democrats actually believe that you are prevented from saying the word gay because that's how successful the media campaign was against that bill. But I heard the coverage of that story as well. And that story was presented the same way the Iran story was, as if it was a 95 to 5 issue that almost everybody agrees the consensus is in, that everybody, understands that banning a book in a child's library that features pornographic material and explicit sex or hey, you should change your gender tomorrow's type of talk, that was that's all completely fine. Almost everyone agrees that's the way it should be. And when you listen to the coverage, that's how it's presented. You talk to the sympathetic librarian who can't believe that they're banning books in the year 2022. You hear from the mom who just can't understand why her kids can't access reading material. What is this Nazi Germany? And you hear it all presented in that case. But here's the thing. The Iran story is a 95 to 5 story here in the United States. Ninety five percent of people are going to agree, hey, yeah, of course, obviously, women's rights in Iran, that, that needs to be fixed as soon as possible. But 95% of people don't agree that pornographic materials should be inside of kids' libraries. That's something most people feel the opposite way on, and we know that because... The polling just happened from The New York Times. We talked about it yesterday. Seventy percent oppose uh, the uh, idea of allowing public school teachers to provide classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity to children in elementary school. It's a 70 to 27 issue the opposite way. The overwhelming majority of people in the United States say, no, we don't want that at all. Yet it's still presented as if it's a 95 to 5 sort of agreement issue, just like women's rights in Iran. And they don't necessarily tell outright lies in every report. It's the context of this reporting. They're constantly trying to push you to think like them. They look at the 70 to 27 poll and say, that's a horror show. I can't believe the American people feel that way. We need to do our work to change their minds. They don't worry about what they think. We need to sit here every single day and say that this is an absolutely accepted position by the American people. So eventually more people will believe it and we can try to make it true. That's a real problem. This is the manipulation of the media. It's not always what they cover or uh, or, or what facts they present. It's the context they place around it to attempt to move you to their position. They act as if the... Uh, this position is so blatantly obvious. And this is what they've done, of course, with the Martha's Vineyard situation as well. What they've said is, obviously, this is a 95 to 5 type of issue. The American people agree. How could you possibly transport uh, uh, immigrants across the country to these blue areas? It's hateful. And look at what a wonderful response we got from Martha's Vineyard to these hateful policies. But That's just not the truth about how the American people feel about this. Let me give you a couple of examples. This is from a a recent Rasmussen poll asking specifically about Greg Abbott's uh, policy of transporting minors, uh, immigrants from uh, Texas to places like uh, Washington, D.C. and New York and Chicago. Most voters approve of Texas Governor Greg Abbott's program to bus illegal immigrants from his border state to sanctuary cities like Chicago, New York, and Washington. Latest Rasmussen Report's National Telephone and Online Survey finds that 52% of likely U.S. voters approve of Abbott's policy, including 36% who strongly approve. Only 39% disapprove, including 25% who strongly disapprove of that policy. What you're looking at there is the type of issue that says, hey, you know, this is basically a politically split issue. It's The majority of voters think it's a good policy, but there's a decent minority uh, that say it's a bad policy. At the very least, it's a divisive issue. So why is it being uh, portrayed as a 95 to 5 type of issue? Why is that? And the underlying issue is even more dramatic. The idea of sanctuary cities where immigration laws would just be ignored is incredibly unpopular in the United States not just among Republicans, not just among independents, but among Democrats as well. A survey from the Harvard-Harris poll provided exclusively to The Hill, this is from a couple years ago, found that 80% of voters say local authorities should have to comply with the law by reporting to federal agents the illegal immigrants they come into contact with. 80% oppose sanctuary cities. 52% support busing illegal immigrants to sanctuary cities. Yet this is presented as a 95 to 5 issue that everybody agrees on. This is a terrible, terrible moment in our history. Everybody hates immigrants. And look, I'm not above taking an unpopular position. As you may know, I'm constantly unpopular. Almost nobody wants to be friends with me. So I understand that it's if let's just say you thought this was a a moral uh, abortion. Now, of course, they don't think that's a good word because they think that's the most wonderful thing that we should all celebrate. But let's just say you thought it was the most terrible policy in the world. And you looked at the polling and you said, hey, 70% of people want uh, this to be stopped in their kids' schools. And you still say, you know what, it's terrible. They're wrong. Uh, LGBTQIA2 policies should overwhelm this. They're wrong. They don't understand. We need to take a stand. I do that type of stuff all the time. You know, I, for example, have done endless monologues against raising the minimum wage or honestly having a federal minimum wage at all. That's not a popular position in this country. I realize I'm up against it here. Almost 80% of people say I'm wrong on the minimum wage. But when I present those arguments, what I will do is explain what the arguments are in detail, give you the best case the steel man version of that argument and say, this is why I think it's wrong. This is why economists think it's wrong. Here are the incentives that are created. Here are the effects that are created. I know I'm not taking the popular stance. I'm not going to try to convince you that everyone thinks that policy is wrong because you're not going to have the right context to understand the issue as it applies to American politics. If you want to say, look, Almost everybody disagrees with us here on having pornographic material for three-year-olds in their classrooms. However, we think it's the right thing, and here's why. Let me give you the other side of that story. That's a totally appropriate thing to do, but that's not what they do. They act as if the other side only disagrees because they're haters, because they're against lgbtqia 2 people, because they're just miserable living in their evil whiteness that they need to overcome. This is the fundamental problem with the media. They all kind of think the same way. They all kind of sit in their circles and go to their cocktail parties and have their friends that all agree with them. So when they do these news broadcasts, they almost can't even see what they're doing. And when they do understand that what they're doing is against the entire American population, they just say everyone must be wrong. It's that Principal Skinner meme uh, from, from Twitter. It's this idea that everyone else must be wrong because they don't accept what we believe as the truth. That's not how the world works. People disagree on things. And honestly, it used to be the opposite. It used to be that if you had a 70 to 27 type issue... The people who were making uh, the news broadcast looking to get ratings and trying to please their audience would at least give a fair shake to their position. That is dead in this country. They don't even try to hide it anymore. They take whatever liberal orthodoxy is and present it as the truth, and they present it, most importantly, as if no one agrees. So you sit back here and you say, Gosh, am I the only one who thinks this is insane? You question yourself. You question yourself over basic truths like our men, men and women, women. And people wind up questioning these things themselves. They're afraid to say them out loud because every broadcast they hear sounds like 95% of people disagree with them. Well, of course, they, won't, they don't want to speak out in that context. That's not the truth, though. We talked about this earlier. This goes back to the, the days when Glenn was on Fox and he used to say, we surround them. They don't surround us. We surround them. That's still true today. The majority of people have common freaking sense. They don't go along with this nonsense. They don't believe all the things that the media say. But when they're washed over with this stuff all the time, when they see their friends getting lit up online and getting canceled because they express a very basic view of something like biology, they get intimidated. This is why places like The Blaze exist. This is why we always say, hey, join us, blazetv.com slash stew. We ask you to do that because if we don't have places like this that will actually step up and say the truth, the truth is going to die. It's already on a ventilator. It's already in one of Andrew Cuomo's nursing homes. The danger is here. So we ask you to support the Blaze and whatever other place you find That tells the truth, because without the truth, how can you keep your republic? If you happen to be a carnivore, my guess is that you like knowing where your meat comes from. Well, when you order it through Moink, that place is literally from small family farms all around the country. And it means you can save family farms and help them, help the people who are doing this by getting access to the highest quality meat on earth when you join the Moink movement today. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your doors. Um, They also, by the way, Uh, farm kind of like the old, you know, your grandparents did many years ago. As a result, their meat tastes like it should because it's a family farm uh, and it does it a lot better. Now, you know my story here. I am the guy on the grill, though. I will say I'm out there on the grill cooking for the kids. They love when uh, when the steaks are from Moink. They know the difference. My wife knows the difference. And you're helping family farms stay independent. You, You can't lose with that. Uh, keep american farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com/stew. You can do that right now listeners to this show get free filet mignon for uh, for a year in every order which is a pretty great value. 1 year of the best filet you're ever going to taste, but it's for a limited time so check it out. M O I N K box.com moinkbox.com/stew moinkbox.com/stew it's moinkbox.com/stew. I want to bring in nicholas everstadt he is a political economist and author of men without work post pandemic edition which you can pick up now uh and make sure you read this this is pretty interesting stuff and, and nicholas i want to start with can we go back in history to 2016 when you first released this report this is obviously before the pandemic uh, starts but you find some really disturbing trends especially as it, as it applies to men in the workforce
1: yeah thank you Stu, for having me on um the, the problem of uh, collapse of work uh, for American men in the modern era is really acute. It began in the 1960s, and by 2016, when I wrote this book, uh, work rates for men were down to late Depression-era levels, hmm. about down to kind of like 1940 levels. Uh, it's even worse today. The trend has only continued.
0: Yeah, can you kind of, uh, what, what's the re- before the pandemic, what was the reason for this? Is it a societal change or men just getting lazy? What, what's going on?
1: Well, back of course in the depression, if you, uh, if you could and you were out of work, you'd be looking for a job. Uh, we've had a revolution after World War II. And uh, today for every prime age guy, 25 to 54, who's uh, out of work and looking for a job, there are four men who are neither working nor looking for work. So we have over seven million guys who are completely out of the game. uh, And they are being supported uh, in a variety of different ways, including disability programs. Uh, And the, the strange thing is that they mainly become long timers. They don't really seem to go back into the workforce that much.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And of course, a lot of this has to do with these big government programs that, that pop up in this time period. But the grandfather of them all, of course, happens during COVID. We have the pandemic. Everything shuts down. The government turns into kind of money printing mode. And this is only making the problem worse, isn't it?
1: Well, clearly, I mean, the, the COVID pandemic was a catastrophe. A million-plus people died. Uh, many people had long COVID. But that doesn't explain what's happened in the workforce since then. I mean, I mean think of it, Sue. We have, we have this unprecedented peacetime labor shortage. We have 11 million unfilled jobs. It's not like there's not work out there. And at the same time that we've got this extraordinary labor shortage, the, the number of people in the workforce is millions and millions short of where it would have been on pre-COVID trajectories.
0: Yeah, it's. it's I mean, it's not only an economic problem. I think it's a, it's a lot bigger than that as well. Um, you look into kind of how people are spending their time. I found this to be fascinating. You, you write, in 2020, the re- men reportedly devoted even less time to household chores, taking care of other household members or getting out of the house than prime male labor force dropouts and allocated almost 11.5 hours a day to personal time, mainly sleep, That's more, more than any other group. This is not how it's supposed to be.
1: No, this men without work syndrome seems to be spreading. Uh, I don't know if it's a red flashing light yet. It's certainly a yellow flashing light. And as you just mentioned, for uh, younger women who don't have kids at home, who are not in the workforce, and are not presently married, we're starting to see really uncomfortable echoes of this idleness, which has been debilitating the men who are labor force dropouts. Uh,
0: So because I think we I'd imagine we agree here that a lot of this comes from these big government programs that, you know, maybe well-intentioned, but, you know, kicked so much money to people, it incentivized them to go into this behavior. But is it all economic forces that are incentivizing this? Or is there a cultural element as well?
1: Well, it's impossible to imagine that, uh, the American workforce of 1965, if suddenly and instantly subjected to the sorts of economic incentives we have today, would end up with as much worklessness as we have. I mean, just think of it. Back in uh, back in 65, the overwhelming majority of guys, uh, prime age guys, were married and had kids at home. Most of them, almost all of them, had been through the military. A lot of them had served in World War II and Korea. Uh, If you did drugs back then, you got in a whole lot of trouble. Uh, The welfare state was kind of still a dream in Lyndon Johnson's uh, imagination. It hadn't really uh, rolled out yet. The guardrails were entirely different back then, and the socialization incentives were very, very uh, importantly different. So I think we have to look at mores and what's acceptable uh, now versus then to understand how we got here.
0: Do we have any sense, Nicholas, what this means long term? Do we not only economically, but I'd love for you to hit on that as well. What happens when men just decide not to work anymore, Um, but also what it means culturally, what it means to families. Uh, It seems to have effects that could ripple for for a very long time.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, the economic uh, consequences are not trivial. It means uh, slower growth bigger gaps in income, bigger gaps in wealth, uh, and a a lot of economic problems. But the non-pecuniary side of this is immense. It means less mobility, more pressure on fragile families, more alienation, more deaths of despair. There isn't a single good thing that comes out of this. And what I think people have to remember is that Work isn't just dollar and cents. That's important. But it's not just dollar and cents. Work is a service to others that helps you complete yourself. And it's part of your connection to uh, society. It's part of what helps to bring meaning to people's lives.
0: Mm, It really is big. Um, uh, I know you you have to run here. One last one, though, for me. What do we do? I mean, is there a solution to this? Do we have to just reorient ourselves and go back to sort of foundational principles? What what's the solution to this?
1: Well, I don't. I kind of misplaced my magic wand that would repair the family <laughs> and uh, bring our value structure back to like the '60s or '50s. But in the world of the doable, we can uh, look at vocational education. It tells you something that the word vocational education is politically incorrect. The educators don't use it anymore. We need a lot of skills out there. Uh, we, need, uh, we need schools that graduate people who have skills. We need probably to completely rethink our disability archipelago. Our social welfare uh, system should have a work-first principle. We need to think of how we can bring back into society the 20-plus million ex-coms who are in society right now, but invisible. And we need to state the truth. We need to be able to tell people that work, has, work is a good thing that is good for society, good for them, good for their families, and good for their country.
0: Mm, uh, we're only able to scratch the surface on this. This is great report and really important stuff. Nick Eberstadt, the book is Men Without Work, post-pandemic edition. And Nick, if you just take a couple of minutes and please try to find that magic wand, because it would make things a lot easier. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> All right. Nick. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the program. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, Stu.
0: So some controversy around Sonny from the view. And I want you to be I want to be, you to be very uh, clear about something. I absolutely know who Sonny from the view is. Um, that's something I want you to, that's foundational to the show. Uh, we are aware of who Sonny is on the view. Like when I'm, I'm about to show you a clip of the view, and I'm going to know immediately who Sonny is because I've seen Sonny, so many times before and I'm so familiar with their um, essence. So that I want you to know, I'm not just going into this with just saying, hey, I'm gonna talk about some lady on the view. I am intimately familiar with every belief and what Sunny looks like. So here's the clip.
1: I think we've got some if they're willing to challenge Trump. I'd love to see Nikki Haley. I'd love to see Liz Cheney. I'd love to see and Nikki Kristen Haley Inu. the chameleon and and Liz Cheney Flip-flop. who's a I disagree. Of- I, think, I think I think
0: I think that Nikki Haley was an incredibly effective governor of South Carolina. Wait, Alyssa, I have a question because- for you. Aside from Ron DeSantis, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people don't go by their actual real what is her name. I believe it's, um, I don't want to mispronounce it. It's, it's Indian, but she, she's, but her background's she Indian. you know, I think if she leaned into. A ton of people well, don't go I mean, by, but, uh, by their color. Uh, wait, Be a serious different. question. Uh, and there she was, Sunny, from The View. Very familiar to me. I just don't know if she was familiar uh, to you. Now, the accusation there is that Nikki Haley's basically trying to hide her heritage, which has been a central part of The messaging around her as a candidate from the very beginning, the fact that someone has uh, been kind of an inspirational story. If she wasn't conservative, it would be the most interesting story to the media that has ever occurred. In fact, all we've been talking about are glass ceilings and incredible barriers being broken. But of course, that makes no difference at all because I think she likes low taxes. So we can't we can't enjoy her story whatsoever. Nikki Haley didn't enjoy that segment all that much. She uh, came back on Twitter. She says. Uh, Thanks for your concern Sonny. It is racist of you to judge my name. Nikki is an Indian name and it is on my birth certificate and I'm proud of that. What's sad is the left's hypocrisy toward conservative minorities. By the way last I checked Sonny isn't your birth name. What is Sonny hiding from? Now I know what she's hiding from because I'm well versed in her entire history as a huge Sonny historian but uh it might be news to you that Sonny's not her real name, or it also might be news to you uh, what she looks like, because you may have never seen her before in your entire life. But not me. I knew. I'm, I've done lots of prep for this, so I know. Um, liberals on Twitter are losing it as well, not only about Nikki Haley, but also about Tim Allen, who is, you know, a comedian. He makes jokes about things. But you see, Tim Allen is conservative, so he's not allowed to make jokes about things. He said Biden was on 60 Minutes. I heard he asked how long the show was. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, look, uh, you know, if you don't know Tim Allen, I mean, he's done a lot of family friendly comedy over the years. Also has a pretty uh, harsh edge to him if he wants to. He could have easily been much more mean to Joe Biden than that. He probably had 30 tweets he deleted before posting that one. So you should be happy if you're on the left. That's all he posted. Uh, Just the 60 Minutes joke, which... I'm sorry. It was funny. Uh, Enthusiasm for upcoming midterm election. The midterm election is at an all time high. This is according to a new NBC News poll. And it tells us some pretty interesting information. Here are the levels of those expressing high interests in the midterm election two months in advance, which is about where we are now. 2006, it was 55 percent. 2010, 53 percent. 2014, 51 percent. 2018, 58%, and 2022, 64%. Now, that's six points higher than any other year I just told you about, and uh, 13 points higher than the lowest year. What's fascinating about this is this poll has pretty much predicted outcome. So in 2006, it was only 55%. Uh, In 2010, it was 53%, kind of on the lower side. It went down to 51% in 2014, And the total amount of votes cast also went down from 87 to 79 million. Then interest in the 2018 election popped back up to 58 percent and total votes cast went from 79 million to 114 million. Now we're even six percentage points higher than that. What does that mean for uh, turnout here in the 2022 election? Look, it's going to be pretty darn high. In fact, uh, 64% in a midterm is the highest number they've recorded. And it's just slightly less than the interest in the presidential election when it was Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton in 2016. So why are people so into this? Why are they so fascinated with the election? Why are they so uh, into it this particular time? It could be that they're noticing the world is going completely insane. Let me give you an example of this. The Air Force. The Air Force is supposed to be, you know, kind of a part of our structural foundation here in America. An institution that many people respect, many people adore. Uh, Obviously, the military has some of the highest approval ratings of any of our institutions. But what are they teaching people right now? I want to give you a clip from an Air, Air Force inclusivity slide has been leaked. What can I do now with inclusive language? What do people call themselves? When in doubt, ask. Which I love because it just seems to be me, to me much more insulting. To be, a, hey, what do you call yourself? Seems like a weird way to open up a conversation, but I guess that's what you're supposed to do now. When you talk, you're supposed to include all genders. Use the term y'all. Now, I live in Texas, and everybody says y'all. But I'm from Connecticut, so y'all sounds kind of ridiculous to me. I'll be honest with you. It's, I'm never going to get used to it. My wife, who was also, by the way, uh, born in Connecticut, says y'all all the time. Okay? Y'all... I don't even think it's a word. It's just a, a miss. It's the, I don't. You all. You all isn't even words that are supposed to go together. Shortening them to y'all doesn't make it any better. Now they want people in the air force to use made-up words to address people because they're not allowed to say hey, she is or you are or they are or what you can't say anything anymore. Um, they also want you to use team. So hey team, and this is a real one. They want you to use squatties. Now, squatties, I just, I'm never going to use that term uh, under any circumstances. Folks, everyone, but don't you dare say you guys, because that's off limits now. Now, you guys does not mean you men, it just means everybody. It's always, I don't know, it's always meant that. You should use the term partner instead of boyfriend and girlfriend. Obviously, that's way off limits. Person-centered language you're supposed to use. What does that mean? Instead of uh, saying uh, the disabled, you have to say people with disabilities, which doesn't change the... It's no different. Instead of saying transgenders, which I don't know if people actually say, but they say transgender people or service members... Recognize diverse family formation. You have to say, instead of mom and dad, you have to say parents, caregivers, or guardians. I'm sorry. Like, look, uh, my parents got divorced. Still had a mom and a dad. It's very difficult to have, you know, life without a mom and a dad. It seems to me to be, at this point, scientifically impossible. So, I hate to break that one to you. Um, Also, uh, don't use the term colorblind because... MLK was a hater. Um, Don't say I don't see color or we're all just people because that would be terrible would be isn't that uniting language? We're all just people. We should all be able to understand each other. We're all people looking for the same goals. We have the same interests. We all want the same basic things in life. This used to be uniting language. Now it's divisive. And I'm sorry, colorblind is still to me the ultimate goal of society. We should never spend one moment in our entire lives thinking about the color of someone's skin. That's the goal. We should never talk about it. We don't need more discussions about it. We need fewer discussions about it. We need people not obsessing about race 24-7. We need people who just live life and say, you know what? We're all just people. That is a goal. That should be the utopian goal of all society as articulated by Martin Luther King. It should, by the way, I'll also say another, another book you might find that is The Bible. We're all God's children uniting language Um, do not joke, do not use nicknames and don't use the N, the R or the F word or call people terrorists, which is (laughs) now the, the N word is, they mean, don't, do they really need to point out? You can't say the N word in the air force. Is that real? The R word? I don't know which one that is. I, the F word I can guess is that the regular F word. I don't know. Do you call people that word? But who, who's calling people terrorists? No, you shouldn't just call them terrorists. You should call terrorists terrorists. If we could get the military back to the time where they called terrorists terrorists, we'd all be better off. But no, you shouldn't just address random people you bump into as terrorists. And that comes directly from the Air Force. You know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do, especially if you're a terrorist. It can also be worse if you are not working with the right agent or if the agent is a terrorist. Generally speaking, our homes are our biggest investment. And that's, of course, a lot of responsibility. And you need an agent that, number one, is not a terrorist. But number two takes the responsibility seriously. Someone who knows the market, someone who understands buying and selling a home can go one of two ways. It can be a great experience or it can be a complete catastrophe and ruin your financial future. Don't let that happen to you. Get the best agent in your area with Real Estate Agents I Trust. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a great company. Glenn Beck started it uh, years and years ago to make sure you can find the best agent in your area. It should be simple. It should be – this service should already exist. It shouldn't, certainly shouldn't have Glenn starting the company. But now they've built a great company, and it works really well for thousands and thousands of our listeners, none of them terrorists. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there now. Realestateagentsitrust.com. No one wants to be tortured. It's not a good... You don't want to go through that experience. But still, some people will buy the January 6th report in book form. How do you square those two things? I don't know. Maybe some people... Oh, there's masochists out there. There's a lot of uh, people who like to be, you know, put in leather and whipped in chains and all those other things. I mean, it's not my thing, but it might be your thing. And uh, maybe... Instead of doing that for a weekend, you can read the January 6th report. It's supposed to come out as a book. Now, this happens occasionally. I think the 9-11 book came out this way. Uh, the, The Star Report back in the 90s came out this way. They put it in book form, and then all these book companies kind of come out, and they try to make money off of the publicly available material. That's basically what's going on. There is now a bidding war. Uh, going on uh, about this, uh, which is fascinating. And they're trying to get some of the people like Jamie Raskin to write forwards to the report so you can get even more crap on top of the crap they're going to print. And you can jump right in and read that as soon as it's available. Uh, it's supposed to come. The New Yorker is doing this. Um, they are going to have um, an instant publication. As soon as it's released, they will have a 10,000-word Oh, good God. 10,000 word No, this is uh, actually, no, MSNBC is going to have the 10,000 word forward from Ari Melber, uh, MSNBC host, for a HarperCollins Harper edition of this. So everyone's going out there and going to report this or, or put this book out and try to make money off of it, which is just embarrassing. I don't. I mean, people will buy it because... It's going to be like left fan fiction. People, some people will really enjoy it, but it's going to be what I would describe as a utter, utter disaster when it comes to readability. Uh, not going to be. Do you want to hear Jamie Raskin do anything? Let alone rant for thousands and thousands of words about a government report? Does not sound sexy. Let me give you another place. You know, if you think the truth might not be coming out in the January sixth report. Let me give you another place to go for that truth. Blaze TV, blazetv.com slash stew is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. Now you can save 10 bucks. They're not going to let you save ten bucks off the January sixth report in bookstores, but we'll have you saving ten bucks if you just uh, use the promo code Stu. It'll save you ten bucks and give you access to the show, Glenn uh, Glenn Show, the radio show every day, Pat Gray Unleashed, so many more uh, here. On, we have, all the great hosts are right here on Blaze TV. You can check it out as part of your membership anytime, and you're jo- joining the movement. You want to support the movement? You want to support the truth being told for once? blazetvcom slash stew blaze tv.com slash stew take a second to rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast we do appreciate it when you do that uh let's see some of the reviews five stars is the appropriate number of stars by the way i apologize or actually just apologize love the show I think it's time for all that voted for Biden to apologize to all of us that didn't keep on doing the good work, Ron. Yeah, that would be nice. I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, I'll hold my breath. Uh, Great show. Keep up the. Awesome work. Thank you so much. Five stars. Five stars do love your show. Yes. Thank you so much. That is the appropriate number of stars. So you nailed that one. Uh, this comment coming in on YouTube. By the way, all the shows are posted on YouTube. Click like if you're watching YouTube right now. Uh, this one comes in. Just something I've been wondering lately. When does all the pronoun craziness reach the word person? And we get fun new words like per daughter and. Per human, that's right, per son. That's totally hateful. Honestly, this whole thing has just gone bonkers. Five stars for you, senior stew. Those are freaking stars, by the way, not boring plain stars. That's, of course, appropriate. All right, let me tell you what happened here. This one is a little wild. A woman has been arrested. She uh, fired shots out of an open car window at an unknown object. She was drunk. She was high. She had pot on her. She had a gun on her. She was half naked. She is 23-year-old Kira Welch. And here's the thing. She told police she was just celebrating her birthday. And I, how, how can we possibly get mad at her for that? It's her, don't you get immunity from crimes on your birthday in this country anymore? I will say, unfortunately, her, it was almost a month ago, so she was celebrating a little late. But I still give her a break on this one.